Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, joined as always by my co-host, the Field Stormer, Ben Ross, Renboss23 on the Twitter. This is our second go-round opening this. Great catch by you. Uh, we just chatted for five minutes thinking that it was a podcast. It was the best five minutes of podcast in history, uh, and we have my side of the conversation. So I'm going to open it with you give you the reins because you were at the game this weekend and want to talk both about kind of your experience at Ryan Field this year, uh, allegedly the last time Iowa will be playing in that setting, uh, that field in that way, uh, a lot of renovations coming, uh, but also your history as a Ryan Field attendee because the story you told me really had me rolling. First of all, free to bet. Let me get it out of the way. That's a non-starter. Uh, <laughs> second of all, I was contemplating about all the t- my, my 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 sordid history with uh, at Ryan Field. I believe I am. This was I, I believe this is my first win I've seen at Ryan Field. It was if it's my third time there, it's definitely my first win. If it was my fourth time, I can't remember. Uh, but my very first time was memorable because it was when I was a reporter for the Daily Iowan and I was sitting in the press box that was being held together by scotch tape and, and, and Elmer's glue of Ryan Field. And Iowa lost that one. I believe it was, it was either a Dan Purse or a Kane Coulter special. Yeah. I, can't re- I can't remember. Um, and I don't. I care to not look up the box score. But okay. I will look, look it up either then. Well, you can. Okay. Um, I want to say it was Kane Coulter because I remember then I remember the following year losing a Dan Persa at Kinnick. Mm. Anyway, anyway, um, or could have, the roles could have been flipped either way. Um, I, that game was memorable because I think it was another night game or later on. And uh, it sticks out to me because the away media availability for you know for the away teams takes place inside a literal trailer literal double wide trailer inside ryan field and uh for whatever reason afterwards after writing our stories and posting them and being with the the photo the photographers from the daily iowan and the other football writer for whatever reason it's just the five or six of us and then also mark morehouse formerly of the cedar rapids gazette in there and we're all leaving together and we can't the, the gate is locked inside Ryan field. We can't, we can't get out. So Mark has to call either. I can't remember if he called Scott Docterman or Todd Bromelkamp, but they had to come from wherever they were. Let's say it was mustard's last stand. Cause I think that's actually right. <laughs> and they had to come in and they had to find somebody in an orange vest around Ryan field to tell them that there were seven, there were five students and a professional reporter still <laughs> locked inside Ryan field. And they had to come and let us out from some random gate. Um, so that was my first memory. Second memory that sticks out was I was quite a bit drunk in 2017. And I had, I called our, our fearless leader, Jonah Parker after Iowa lost in overtime off of a dropped Noah Fant catch, uh, on, uh, in, in, in overtime. Uh, I believe that was in 2017. So it, I think this was my first win there and, uh, obviously happy about it. Um, not happy about what I saw on the field other than maybe we'll talk some things that we'll talk about later, but it was, a very frustrating game to watch in person. And the only, you know, takeaways are beautiful day in Evanston, really nice town. Um, I get the feeling they hate college football fans, which I would too, if I lived in Evanston, I think. Um, And, uh, but it was a great tailgate, probably 50 to 60 of my closest friends and their acquaintances. And so in some cases, their new families came to the tailgate. We were on, the first hole of uh, Canal Shores Golf Club, yeah, I guess, in Evanston. 
you, you, you golf on a golf, you, you, you tailgate on a golf course. So not complaining. In Rome. Yeah, exactly. Would have been a, would have been a nice day for 18. Honestly. How, how quickly did you consider maybe I should just golf instead of attending this game or, or is everything closed? I have hung up my, I haven't played golf in probably six weeks. Yeah. Uh, peek behind the curtain for production because I, my golf game has just gone to, gone to hell this year. I don't know what happened. And uh, I'm taking my trip, my annual trip down to Arizona uh, actually next week. And I already have golf lessons booked. And so I told myself, I'm not, I'm not trying to golf until I get some more lessons. And uh, so I've got like three booked for next week and the week after in Arizona. And that's when we're going to, we're going to get back on that horse. Well, my best for for you. I went was down in Fayetteville this weekend, and, and I'm going to get to my time in attending games in Ryan Field before or after this. But I was very much considering just hanging out and watching the end of the Arkansas Mississippi State game. My dad and I attended it. We left it at half. Kind of a, a slow moving game, but. Sam Pittman, God love this man, within Arkansas's first two drives, they had run three or four trick plays, one of which was an offensive line shift at the goal line. Incredible, incredible. So it was either the the center was playing right guard or the right guard snapped the ball. Anyways, so I... I definitely considered like, do I really want to go go back home and watch an, an Iowa Northwestern game? We did. We watched the full thing, and you reminiscing about your time at Ryan Field has me, had me reminiscing uh, about Ryan Field before we realized we were recording only half of the the conversation. And the first one that sticks out is Herb Grigsby, two thousand five, I believe. Sir Nicholas will have the information on this. And it was genuinely incredible. It shouldn't be the Herb Grigsby game. It should be the Albert Young game. And I'm telling this to you again in excruciating detail because poor Herb Grigsby will go down in infamy as the guy who not only had what would have been a game ceiling onside kick recovery, but also somehow after Northwestern had scored twice within the last three to four minutes, still left Iowa a chance to win the game. Herb Grigsby was the player who dropped like a fourth down pass that Iowa could have. He could, he would have caught it, spike it, field goal. Potentially for the win after leading this game by like 14 points, the whole thing. Which is why, to, to bring it to Saturday... The place is just a house of horrors. I remember going to another game and, and losing and swearing it off. It might have been 07 or, 07 or 08. And maybe it was just 07 because I, I was probably still in high school. And then we thought, hey, let, let's meet and meet there for the 2010 game as well. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to visit Ryan Field ever again. It is a house of horrors. And you would think, we're going to talk about Kirk's press conference in a minute, but the man with the longest memory in history always forgets what a house of horrors this place is and doesn't just keep his foot on the gas, lets Iowa, lets Northwestern stick around, and after having Iowa's most most impressive offensive stretch in weeks, probably have to go back to the Maryland game to find a a stretch of offense that was as impressive as Iowa's first two drives with Alex Padilla. Just total turtle, total turtle. Um, I believe you you have some thoughts uh, after the, uh, in the, the two minute strategy in the second half or in the second quarter, that was brutal. I, I, because it was like, kind of against type like Iowa is actually trying to score but doing it in the most meandering way and then just the whole second half was just mind-numbing and Iowa's ability to let a lesser opponent stick around so so Ben what 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 was your take in person 
Uh, maybe, maybe we first start with the positives of Alex Padilla um, and the offense during that stretch, and then we'll obviously get to the many negatives, unfortunately. Well, I guess the positives of Alex Padilla are he's not Spencer Petrus, right? Um, it's really tough to like, you know, I think he was able to to sling, sling it in a way that Petrus hasn't slung it really all year or, or ever, I guess, for that matter. I, I mean, I don't know. We try and be as nice as we can, but I know we had a come to Jesus conversation about Petrus last year, and we never really did this year because we were always so, we always sort of believed that it'd be the same type of deal with Padilla inserted in this game. And it's like, if, and I, I do believe Petrus is hurt. I don't think they, I, I, yes. I do think he wasn't pulled for shits and gigs. Um, I, and I do believe if he was a hundred percent, I would have won this game in the exact same way, in the exact same manner. Um, you know, would have been the exact same score. I don't think any, I don't think Pete Padilla did anything that, you know, fully healthy Petrus didn't do other than like, other than getting, getting rid, other than like getting rid of the ball quicker, I guess, and I, I think he does throw a prettier, prettier spiral. Um, and I do think he has a little bit more mobility. I think he is a little bit better and uh, at throwing screens and and maybe even even a little bit quicker. Somebody noticed he's like a quarter of a second faster and handing off the ball, which I mean, sure. Oh, like <laughs> okay, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Like sure. Um, uh, but again, like it, he certainly wasn't an X factor. He wasn't a catalyst. I, I guess the only things that I do stick out, I think he's got better chemistry with Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce, which is really, really important for the future of the program, I think. And also like Keegan Johnson is kind of important in like maybe showing that these guys can, will stick around. Like there has been like, people are saying, why would the, why would those two freshmen stay with the way they've been used or rather not used this year? And so if, he can get them the ball more and maybe solidify um, their spot on the team for future seasons. Yeah, I think that is important. But short term, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I was impressed with Alex Padilla. I think okay, it's just like really nice being not served vanilla ice cream after only getting served vanilla ice cream for dessert for for the past 16 weeks, you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I, I think I do. I, I think what you said about whether Iowa wins or loses, I think they probably win irrespective of quarterback if you're going healthy guy versus healthy guy, which I want to clarify because you. I first heard him like, oh, Iowa was going to win with Petrus regardless. I think they lose that game if. Oh, if, if they keep him in there, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, but I think that the thing that. Padilla does that it it did feel like a jolt to the offense both for kind of what you were talking about in terms of getting to uh the ball out to Keegan Johnson getting it to Bruce getting it to Tracy heck you know getting it to to Tyler Goodson in that that Texas route I've discussed before the the little in-breaking route um I I think he is he opens up, and this is the point that I've kind of always made about Petrus is how much of the playbook is he closing off because he can't complete a play-action rollout with any sense of urgency, for lack of a better term. It feels very, very forced, very outside of his skill set. And when that's such a staple of Iowa's offense, where you know, even the speed of handing it off. If a player like Alex Padilla can fake the handoff quicker, get outside of the pocket faster, that is the type of thing that makes you defend the width of the field that Iowa opponents didn't have to when you look at it from a defensive line perspective. They could just simply beat Spencer Petrus to a point when he was throwing the ball, and that makes everyone's jobs harder. It makes the receiving receivers jobs harder because they have to get open quicker against a defense that knows Iowa has to get open quicker. It makes the offensive lineman's job harder because the defenders can just go to a single point. It makes everyone's job a lot harder. And 
to see Padilla be able to do that. And Thad, uh, at the time of this recording, hasn't posted the rewatch yet, but will. You know, running 11 play-action passes is probably where Iowa's offense should be. Now, how much of that is playing Northwestern, I think, is fair game, right? But the play calling is much more where you would like for it to be, especially in the sense that like I've been harping on you have to run out of the shotgun more. They ran out of, out of the shotgun enough that I didn't feel necessarily the need to continue that because the play calling was so much better. And, you know, your PD looked better. Yeah, like I, I think that there's no other way to say it, especially considering, you know, the the tough season that, that Petrus has been through because he has taken a lot of hits. He's gotten sacked a lot. Um, and that's where I kind of sit with, as we talk about maybe really diving deep into the quarterback discussion, how I, I just have more questions than answers as, as I learn more about it because Padilla not really being coached up necessarily through the week and hearing on the headset that he's going to go in, in and play. I mean, like, I just don't get it. Like, I mean, how do you have a QB one that's injured and Hey, maybe you think he's going to be fine Saturday. And that's kind of the, the sense they, they shared was, Hey, he was trending as he needed to throughout the week. Must've been getting enough snaps with the ones. Then Saturday, it just goes awry. And it's like, you don't at any point, like, take Padilla aside to try and coach him up. And it's like, I I just, I don't understand how it came to that, especially Padilla. What if Padilla wasn't wearing his headset? Like, (laughs) I mean, seriously, like he just happens to hear, oh, we need to go to, to beat Padilla. Spencer can't make this throw. It it, it boggles my mind and and we'll kind of just, I don't know if we want to get really into it now or, um, you know, just kind of meander with more talk and thoughts about Northwestern. But for me, it's just crazy how the quarterback situation was handled. Well, what's frustrating to me is I don't think Petrus was pulled for a hit he took in the Northwestern game. No. So how do you not know during warmups? Like, I'll even give you the benefit of the doubt from Monday through Friday. Maybe he looks yeah. okay in practice. But how do you not know in warm-ups an hour before kickoff that Spencer Petrus can't throw a five-yard out? Like, I just don't – how? I, this goes back to the how fed up I am with just sort of the the coaching that, that we're seeing on the offensive side of the ball um, for this for – uh, on this team, really. It's uh, it's malpractice and like especially in the sense like that's how you really get somebody hurt is when you put yeah. somebody and so that's the, that's the actual definition of malpractice not just coaching <laughs> like putting somebody in a position they don't need to to get seriously injured like can you imagine it like how bad would you feel if Spencer Petrus we don't even know what his official injury is like you he, he, medically he's been cleared as we'll talk about like Kirk Ferentz said moments ago Petrus is medically cleared. But how bad would you feel? I mean, these guys, this team, I, 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 I believe the Ferences don't have empathy. Um, but that's <laughs> a little mean. But we, but I don't care. Um, like, let's say, you know, seriously injured himself, and you know, was sustained a season career-ending injury because you were scared to, we're scared of a quarterback controversy that you're still kind of manufacturing out of your own anyway. Like, it's just, you know, it's one thing after another, really, with 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 with, with, with this coaching, and I'm getting pretty sick of it. Yeah, I think that the best point is, what's he even doing out there? Like, I mean, it, it, I didn't really see any of that discussion, especially in that kind of takes care of itself, right, with Padilla's play. If Padilla comes in and he's really, really struggling, then the question of, oh, why didn't you foresee this? Why didn't you give Padilla more chances? You're putting him in a position where he's not 
built to succeed, right? And in all sorts of things, like you're you're not coaching it up. And like that was the one kind of tweet I had while watching the Kirk Ferentz news conference. It's like he says he's not a quarterback guru, and he insists on making the quarterback position as hard as possible. This being just kind of the the latest, you know, example of not putting Padilla in a position to succeed and Padilla succeeding in spite of that, um, that, that goes credit, uh, immense credit to Padilla because as he kind of discussed in the post game, his job as backup quarterback is to prepare like he's the starter. And that has to be really freaking hard when you're at a university playing for a team that hasn't gone to a backup quarterback in quite literally seven years. And before that, 12 years. And I, I think the point you made, Bethard playing against Purdue, I can't remember if that was a start that he had or not, but Iowa so sparingly starts their backup quarterbacks that it's like, ugh, like, is, is are we actually going to see some regression that we saw more in the later half of the the Northwestern game where, hey, the it just kind of all evens out and the fact that you're playing in the Iowa offense is what limits you and not necessarily a quarterback skills. We're going to find out against Minnesota, but it's, it's interesting when we talk about what Ferentz said the door officially, in my opinion, is open for a quarterback competition because he said if Petrus is 100%, Padilla finally has something on the board. And this is always my point about about the quarterback position. Why didn't we find this out a year ago? But, I mean, that, that that's ultimately where, where I'm at. Like The fact that Iowa won all these games last year in spite of its quarterback play was the perfect time to figure out if Petrus was the guy or Padilla was the guy versus trying to make Petrus into the guy. It it just, it works when you're winning, but when it doesn't and things go super sideways, it's, it's ugly. Any, even in a win, you know, 17 points is nothing to write home about. It, It felt like just a malaise that had carried over from, you know, the Purdue game into the Wisconsin game into this one. And like, we see this all the time at Ryan Field, which is why I'll never attend another football game there. But it's like, how is there going to truly be kind of a, a jump start to this offense? And I think maybe we, we save that a little bit for later, but, and kind of wrap up the, the Northwestern conversation now. Was it? Was there anything else that that stuck out to you on on Saturday, and in any read watching that you've done? Seventeen points against the number twelve team, number twelve defense in the in the conference too. Let's put let's make that clear. Um, they're allowing an average of twenty six points a game, and that's that that's adjusted for the seventeen points. Um, Iowa scored against them too. So I think that's clear. I want to push back a little bit about, I okay. I, I don't have too many observations uh, other than first I want to push back to like sort of what you said about winning in spite of your quarterback play dating back to last year. But I mean, that's what happened this year too. And mm-hmm. you, yes. I mean, obviously the Penn state game, you know, the, the magical start, magical number two ranking, and then go sideways back-to-back weeks with Purdue and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it kind of feels like Iowa is getting, let, let's say Padilla comes in and he mm-hmm. he dazzles in these last three games of the year and and potentially the fourth bowl game. And it's just frustrating when you lay it out as Iowa is making a switch to a better quarterback but it's not Iowa's choice. C.J. Beathard's dad <laughs> made that yeah. choice for them uh, <laughs> the first time. I can't. I can't really comment on what you know. I think Jake Christensen he made that choice for for the when he was a guy who stands usurped, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he made that choice. I mean, he was playing even worse than Petrus was, right? And that sort of neck and neck in that terms pre- of that predates my fandom. Um, so I don't want to comment on that. And then, you know, 
Petrus's inability to hold his right arm over his shoulder, over his head, you know, made the choice for video for them. So it's like going back to the smell practice stuff. It's like, you're, yeah, they hate me. I don't know why they hate making tough decisions with a quarterback decision, but they make really, they love making really tough decisions in that they make the defense do everything for the offense, you know? Um, it's just, I don't know. I, I keep on talking about how fed up I am with some of the things I'm seeing. And that just sort of leads me into the last thing I want to talk about for the game was the end of okay. half play calling and the final eight to 10 minutes of play calling. Iowa had the chance, you know, yes. the score is 14, three, they get the ball back with two minutes and four seconds left at the 11 yard line. Very first play is a great pass to Keegan, Keegan Johnson where it's two still it's two minutes left in the game still Iowa has I think two timeouts at least one I want to say two timeouts Keegan gets 10 yards they're on the 20 they've got two minutes and you know they can at least push for field goal position here what do they do they run they get they give it to Goodson who gets out of bounds and then they give it to Laporta who gets out of bounds and you get the feel and then you get to Regani who gets out of bounds and all of a sudden you, you get the feeling that these players are getting out of bounds to spite Brian Ferentz. You get the feeling that he's mad that these players are getting out of bounds because you know what they're doing? They're making his job harder. Instead of just letting him <laughs> defer and going to going to half, uh, between one of those three plays, they did not get out of bounds. But the final one, Regani did get out of bounds. I know the clock stopped. Iowa calls its timeout. 34 seconds left. I'm like, okay, now we're going to take a shot. We're on the 42 – Iowa's own 42-yard line, only 60 yards to go, 35 seconds. We can get maybe 30 yards and give Caleb Shudik a chance here. Run up the middle for three yards with Tyler Goodson. Then give it to Gavin Williams for 11 yards, and then and then that's the end of half. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. That Like, wh- why? What are you do? What coaching clinic have you ever attended that tells you, you know, what's the right thing to do? What coaching click have you ever attended? It's like, oh, you're playing against the number 12 defense in the conference, and Northwestern has what, three wins on the year? Two wins? That's turtle. And be happy you're going up. You know, we were – furthermore, it's a little selfish of me. We had all decided as a group we're going to leave the game at half if Iowa goes up 21-3. <laughs> so you're mad you have to spend another we're, half. We're, we're and... mad we have to spend another half in Evanston. <laughs> so that's another selfish thing by me, by, by me too. It's just so – it's unbelievable. Like, truly, I mean, I said this in the column, I'll swear here, it's chicken shit. And yeah. I really, like – the case can be made. Brian Ferentz is point-shaving. Like, honestly. <laughs> I, I don't want to get into that too much, but, like, Iowa as a favorite with Greg Davis, the over hit 60% of the time, and now it hits 40% of the time when Iowa's as a favorite. I don't think it means anything other than the fact that Iowa's playing football the way Kirk Ferentz wants to play football in terms of scoring as few points as possible. But to your point, there are – it's serious, right? Serious implications of the fact that Iowa's just not scoring much. Like, it, it's just it, – it, it's crazy. Um but I think you bring up a great point because so much of what happened in in the the end of the second quarter, like I, I was watching this with my dad and like we didn't expect anything to happen. But once you kind of get that ball rolling, like the the players do getting out of bounds with the play calls, moving it forward, getting chunks, you reach a point where you just have to try and score and the, the amount of time that I was taking off between plays was wild at times. Like, if I recall, like, the timeout that they called at one point was after 15 seconds had run off the clock. And it's like, how, how have you not figured this out, Kirk Ferentz? Now, I, I think part of it is he just never had to. His greatest moment in the history of his lifetime as a football coach was amidst horrible, horrible time management. And it's and it hasn't gotten better, uh, but I digress. I think that the the thing that 
also is frustrating about how they played that second half, that second quarter deal was not coming out and scoring in the first possession of the the third quarter. Because I can I can understand like, hey, we're not going to try and score here. We just want to make sure that we get a couple first downs. We make Northwestern burn their timeouts, and then we're good to go in terms of just getting to halftime. Set up what we want. We had just deferred, yada, yada, yada. But then they come out and it's, you know, the, the classic, not not a, uh, you know, three and out, but basically, like they, they had their, their first play was a loss of two yards. Padilla threw one up for Johnson. It was a, a pass interference. And then uh, another run, run, pass situation, which just becomes it. it it established that Iowa was ready just to get on the bus and go home to Iowa city again with a coach who preaches 60 minute games. He insists on making the 60 minutes as bereft of scoring as possible. And what's frustrating is like the more you score, the easier you make it on your defense. Right. And when you're, Coming back the way it did, and and thank goodness for Dane Belton and him just staring at the the Northwestern sideline for for closing it out. Once again, defense came through as an Iowa defense does. But how many times is that going to come true? Uh, eventually, the the finger in the dam of Iowa's chances of winning is eventually going to lead to a damn breaking. And honestly, if that's going to happen, it's going to happen against a team like Illinois. It's not, I don't even think it's going to happen against Nebraska. I think it'll be like, you know, a team that knows how to beat Iowa as Bielema does. And I'll be in the stands watching Brandon Peters lead a game winning drive. I'm going to be sick to my stomach. From your mouth to Pratt Bielma's ears, I yeah, guess. Pretty much. Pretty much. But I guess that's, that's kind of a, a enough about the Northwestern game. You and I, we, we followed the, the press conference a little bit because we wanted to really get a sense of the quarterback situation coagulating in the way that it is. And I use coagulating very specifically because this is like watching blood clot. Um, not fun. Kirk just does chooses not to handle it in, in the way that would be easy and just say it, it's Padilla's job until Petrus is 100% and then we'll open it up. You know, you have to pick at that scab and get to that point. And I think the reporters did a pretty good job in terms of, you know, is it a competition? I think it, I'm not good with voices, but but someone was very good about getting to the point where what's it like when Petrus is 100%? Did Padilla do enough to be in a competition? And the answer is yes. So, like, it'll be interesting how the this week goes along and, you know, the game against Minnesota. Is, is Padilla given kind of the keys to the castle like he was against Northwestern in that, that first half play calling? Or is it just the classic, oh my gosh, uh, play calling that we've seen for, call it, the better part of eight games? I turned off the press conference as soon as Kirk Ferentz called Tanner Morgan <laughs> one of the best and most most dangerous quarterbacks in the conference. So <laughs> you're going to have to uh, forgive me there. I mean, no, the, the the thing that stuck out to me is like, and I mentioned it already, is that medically Spencer Petras has been cleared to play, but obviously, you know, so like what, what, what could be the reason he's not playing well? He's just, he's got a sore shoulder. He's got... Uh, you know, and that's really it. He's just sore. Maybe he's got, maybe he's got broken ribs. Maybe he's got a slight tear. Maybe he's got something, but clear to play, I, I guess is, um, you know, ominous in this sense, but he, he's not even practicing. Right. So, and so, Correct. like, so like, he's not gonna, unless he's, I, I think, you know, unless he's 
was able to practice tomorrow. Tomorrow's Wednesday. We'll just say that for posterity. Um, unless he's, I, I don't think Kirk will, you know, to his benefit as, as much as I've railed on him and Brian these first 35 minutes, he's not going to play a guy who wasn't able to practice that week. So I think we can pretty much assume Alex Padilla is a starter. Um, and you, you have to j- just hope and believe that he's going to come out and look, I think, yeah, I think he's going to come and look out, come out and look good against Minnesota because it'll be his first week, hundred percent reps with the ones. Uh, Kirk said Deuce is taking all number two reps, which great, fine. That's what you expect. And, you know, the Minnesota defense is depleted. Minnesota overall is depleted. It's not a good defense. And uh, to Kirk's credit, he's got a great track record against P.J. Fleck. And, you know, th- this Minnesota team just isn't very good. And and so I I, I, I do believe that, I, you know, P- Padilla is going to come out and look really good. I just do. It's going to be healthy. He's hopefully building off the momentum he had from his, you know, first win as a as a quarterback and now that now Brian hopefully you know this is putting so much faith in the fact that 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 the that staff is gonna you know you talk about what the take what the defense gives you well take what your own team gives you for the first freaking time and finally you know play to their strengths and I think it already did with you know either you or Thad was talking about the slack about all the, the play action numbers and and things like that, and the rollouts and the bootlegs that Padilla's that was able to do, and you know, it's a little bit even more damning when you realize that your backup quarterback allows you to open up the playbook. Are you serious? Like that—that's reason in itself to to to. to oh, what the hell? Um, sorry, Siri just popped up after I said serious. Ah. Uh, uh, I, I lost my train of thought there, I guess, but it's just, you know, I, I do think Padilla is going to come out. I think it's a spin. I think it's going to look great, and it's going to make us pull our hair out even more over the decision-making that's gone into the quarterback position in 2021. I thought Bromel Camp said maybe the most interesting thing about Iowa's quarterback non-controversy against Wisconsin through the lens of Graham Mertz. And I guess he, he and Wisconsin beat reporters, you know, were talking, well, why, why is Graham Mertz getting all the snaps? And the answer is there's no one better. Right. I mean, and, and that's, that's an easy answer to have in Wisconsin standpoint where, you know, they, they have either freshmen behind him or walk-ons behind him. You don't have that situation in Iowa. Padilla, in the lead up to this year, was as experienced as Petrus was in the lead up to last year. So experience is not a concern necessarily in terms of Padilla from that respect. It's asymmetric in the playing standpoint, right? Petrus had that time last year. And again, this is why... It makes the last two years frustrating from a quarterback standpoint. But I come back to, like, I think Kirk is so self-preservationist that his, the, the easiest way to build critical mass against you is to be in a quarterback controversy. Like, I, I think that that is the first thing. And not just be in a quarterback controversy, but maybe pick the wrong horse in a quarterback controversy or put your thumb on the scales of a quarterback controversy. And I think Kirk is actually in a safe spot right now where, oh, well, we had an injury, right? And Petrus had won us 12 out of the last 16 games. You're not going to change there. And that makes a lot of sense from Kirk's standpoint. He's just not going to invite that heat for lack of his lack of a better word but when you see someone like Padilla come in the play actions back he's not a running quarterback but he is mobile the throwing on the runs back the the sliding up into the pocket is there finally like I I thought that his ability to 
not manipulate the pocket necessarily, but just maneuver the pocket was a lot better. Um, I, I think one interesting point someone made was how Padilla gets to his back point very quickly. And this is in line with, you know, the, the, him getting to Goodson quicker, etc. He gets to the back and then moves up versus kind of doing his footwork to get into the middle and then maybe moving back. Like you see what happens with Petrus and to be fair, Stanley a lot of the time. So like I thought the, all of the little things that you want out of your quarterback, it seemed like Padilla had them from a very naked eye standpoint. And this is why it's so frustrating because Kirk says he's not a quarterback guru. He, does he have a quarterback guru on staff? Like, I mean, I, th- in all honesty, I think Ken O'Keefe is probably as well experienced, like as experienced to probably go and coach an offensive line as he is to be a quarterback quote unquote guru. I, I think all of the stuff that I was built into the quarterback position is so administrative that having a guy like Ken O'Keefe, who's focused on old school offensive tenants, isn't going to be as refined in terms of, uh, you know, footwork and things like that. And there are always also time constraints to worry about. But the fact that Padilla has been going to a quarterback guru since he you know, was in high school and it was someone who, who tweeted out that throw he had to Jones. Can't, can't think of the name. Maybe Tim Jenkins, uh, I think's the name, you know, that's something he's been doing for years. And Petrus goes out East. He works with quarterback guru of, of his own. And you see the difference between someone who's trying to learn all the intricacies and someone who has already learned it. Uh, in a way that seems much more natural for for Padilla. And again, like I, I think there are fair discussions to have about Petrus, who, well, maybe this year of having a bad offensive line has has not allowed him to grow in those tendencies that that would make him a better quarterback. But you know, he his constraints don't aren't made up enough by his strengths. And, and I think that that was never a, an analysis that was done from an Iowa football perspective on the quarterback position. <clears throat> I mean, the problem, I, and I do know what you're talking about with the Bromwell camp thing. You know, I wrote some things down. I'm going to, and I want to react to um, like, you know, that he said, if there's somebody better, we'd play him. And that, I guess it, I, I don't think it's one-to-one with Petrus and Mertz because I think Mertz, even when you disregard Mertz's first start last year when he went 90 for 90 against Illinois for, for 7,000 yards, Mertz still, even when you throw that game away, Mertz still had sort of flashes of brilliance, you know, whereas Petrus's are flashes of brilliance like you can pick them out. It was the pass, pass to Reganey. Uh, against Penn State, it was the pass for Charlie Jones against Iowa State, and then what else? <laughs> I mean, really, like what, sort of what else this year, you know? Um, and you know, further and, and going against that 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 stigma though too is like we all saw Padilla in the spring game and the kids' day games. I think twice this year, and he was stinky. He yeah. was super yes. stinky. So we, we had that to fall back on. And then the last point there is, and I'm going to start referring to them as sort of a, the PR, the separate PR arm of the Iowa football program is, you know, the, 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 the Iowa football podcast. It's actually sort of a politics podcast, but they like to moonlight as a sports podcast talking about how trust, you know, and you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> they had tweeted, one of the members had tweeted and they had all then retweeted that, you know, trust us you don't want to see the backup right now. And I think that was after that, that was either after the Penn state game or after the Purdue game. And so there was that too, which, and, and I'll be honest, if, you know, coming from them, they've got more insight than I do. And so I, I you know, I trust, I tr- don't trust them on many things, but I sort of trust them on that. But now you go back and if Padilla does light it up, 
against Minnesota, which I am sort of predicting, which again is, there's going to be a lot of reasons for that. And I think Padilla, if he does, is only going to be, let's say it's going to be 25% his fault. Um, if he, you know, if he does play really well, which I think is, you know, a silly thing to say out loud, but I can, I can go back on that further, but here's something else I listened to or read. Um, I, I've slowly started, I've mentioned how I'm, I've, I, I have, I have, uh, weaned my dot, my consumption of media, you know, sort of when I, when I was playing bad, right. I did listen to a podcast. Uh, I think it was actually last night. And I can't remember, they were talking about an SEC quarterback. I want to say it was the Arkansas QB, but I can't remember. But I said it reminded him of a, of a rook in chess, where you can only take two steps backwards and one step to the left or right, and then that's all the movement they can do. And that's sort of how you know. And he was like that. And I think this guy sort of was a scout at one point. Uh, the guy's name was Michael Felder. And he's like, and that's sort of how I would assess quarterbacks was if they can only, I call them rooks, if they can only make three steps, not even like, like a three-step drop, like a three steps in terms of escapability, then I know they're not going to really have a future. He's like the last quarterback who, the, the only the only last quarterback left who's still playing that is like that is Tom Brady. And he, and, and that, and, you know, and before him was Drew Brees. Um, and that, and let's be honest, it's what Petra says. He's a rook in, in that sense. I think it's sort of a brilliant little, way to assess it. And I don't think Alex Padilla is a rook. You know, I think he's got a little bit more moves. He's also something I did mention. He's so small to out there. He is small. He, is, he small. is very short going out there. He looked, he reminded me sort of like when he's going up under center, he is tiny, which fine, whatever. Drew Brees was tiny uh, <laughs> to invoke his name <laughs> twice uh, for the podcast on this podcast. But my overall point, I, I guess, really, with all of this is <laughs> you go to war with the armor you have. You know, I don't think we're going to see. I think we're going to see an injured. Yeah. I think we're going to see an injured Petrus before we see a Deuce, if if Padilla for whatever reason can't go, um, unless Petrus doesn't suit up on Saturday. I think he will. It sounds like he will, but um, I don't know. I sort of lost what I was supposed to react to there in that little tirade I just had. No, but I think a point you made is a point that Stoops has made in emails to me multiple times, which is like mobility is a requirement for the quarterback position. And he brings up the point that like only the the exact same point where like only Tom Brady is among quarterbacks that, loses yards rushing every other quarterback has a positive rushing total and it's a little different because sacks count differently in the nfl than they do college but the point remains that like you you look across professional football and darn near every quarterback has some mobility if you don't like a mac jones or a tom brady you need to be a genius and make very quick, very decisive reads. And I think this is always where I struggled with the Petrus stuff is Petrus was never necessarily put in that position where he could just go and find the right guy, get it to him, and then trust that the, the players can, can make the plays. Now, I think what makes Petrus interesting versus Padilla most is the quick trigger that Padilla has. And I don't think that that can be discounted because when Petrus has to make a decision as to where he's going to throw, it is before when Padilla makes that same decision, right? So Padilla can be quicker with it and get it out. He can also be later with it. He can also, you know, wait that extra tick before the offensive line breaks down a little bit and get it out. So what it ultimately comes down to is like, you look at Padilla height be damned and, and he looks smaller than six one. Like, I mean, there was one time I, I think we discussed it as like kind of an off point of like, well, I get why Padilla hasn't even get gotten a shot. He looks smaller in a helmet than Petrus looks with, with his helmet off, but he's tiny, but has the the more modern skill set that 
I think can make Iowa's offense look better. And and, and as we kind of look ahead to Minnesota, their scoring offense or scoring defense is really quite good. But can Iowa with a quarterback that seems to suit the offense better? Can they do more things against a, a pretty stout Minnesota defense? And and I'm kind of, kind of liable to think that that they can. And if you know Padilla can can move the ball in the air and maybe open it up a little bit in the screen game, which allows you know it forces teams to cover. This was always the knock on Davis was he wanted to you know make teams cover the width of the field so that it could open up the the running lanes inside and at least that made sense it didn't necessarily work but the logic of it made sense and if we're going back to more of that structure of an offense especially with a a guy like Padilla who has that chemistry with Keegan Johnson outside it's it's super intriguing because there was a column written in the offseason about how Padilla does make some jaw-dropping throws and I, I, I counted no less than three uh, on Saturday between that first kind of 50-50 ball to to Johnson, the one to Jones that he dropped. And then the to me, I've brought it up multiple times, but the catch in the, the drop in the end zone to Johnson was an incredible throw because he was well covered and is in the only place that Johnson could go up and get it credibly and come down with it. It would have been a great catch as well as a great throw. But, um, you know, you just see kind of this skill set Maybe it suits Iowa's offense better, and you come down to it. Maybe he isn't the better quarterback by some definition of the word, but the better fit. We talk about fit all the time, and it seems like maybe maybe Padilla has enough juice to come out of it. But again, Northwestern really, really bad defense. Even though they always play Iowa tough, and it's like. How much of that is going to cause it come down to earth? I mean, yeah. Well, it's going to be you, – you said, yeah, Minnesota scoring defense, I guess. They do have the fifth-best defense in the conference, you know, by scoring. They're allowing eight fewer points per game <clears throat> than Northwestern. Um, but, I, you know, like, I, again, it's P.J. Fleck versus Pat Fitzgerald a little bit. Kryptonite versus – what what is Superman's what is the opposite of his kryptonite? I don't know. Um I, I guess more than uh-huh. anything Yeah, I, I guess more than anything I when, when can you ever think of like another time though where Iowa, you know, should have started somebody over because mm. I mean like CJ overall was just a better quarterback than Rudock. And same with Stanzi and Christensen and everything like that. Where and and like you said, you know, Padilla is just—is he a better skill set because this offensive line is not great? Is he a better skill set because um, he's better at finding Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce, sort of the the future of this team? Um, is he a better skill set because he, you know, something I, we haven't talked about yet, but I think was important. Where is he a better skill set because? Teams, I don't know, for whatever reason, because Tyler Goodson uh, has better games with him. You know, this is the first first game in over since Maryland where Tyler Goodson looked like Tyler Goodson. And, you know, how much of that was Northwestern is up for debate, but it's still not nothing. Um, like if Tyler Goodson, even by himself, if Tyler Goodson is a better running back with Spencer Padilla as a quarterback, that's reason enough for me to, for, to play Padilla over Petrus. Yeah, I think what this coalesced for me was if you cannot come to Iowa incredibly run a play action rollout, that that should be a non-starter. Because the the fact that Petrus struggles so much in that area, Iowa tried to make it work, but it just he just doesn't have that escapability on a bread and butter play that Iowa needs. That a quarterback shouldn't play in that situation. Just like if 
if a corner and, and you bring this up all the time, like Phil Parker isn't afraid to tinker, right? And if a cornerback is looking in the backfield and can't cover their quarter of the field, they're, they're going to be done. If they can't tackle credibly uh, by keeping their player in front of them and getting them out of bounds, they're going to be done. And, and to me, that has to be like a non-starter. And I think to the staff's credit, you look from Padilla onward, I think Hogan's maybe a little more statuesque, but each of the the three other quarterbacks in the pipeline have more mobility than Petrus. I, I think that that is really what it comes down to. And you mentioned when was the last time that Iowa had someone starting that once you see their backup, it's like, why was the starter in there in the first place? One that sticks out to me, it's very niche. It's like from five years ago. But I remember Miles Taylor going down in the Michigan game and Anthony Gare coming in and being very, very good as a fifth-year player who never really got his shot. And he finished out the season as kind of the starting strong safety, I believe, maybe free safety. But I was blown away that Taylor had been in there so long because it's not like Taylor was necessarily bad, but Gare was better. It's just like, how, how's, how do you get so far into a player's career where they're all of a sudden finally getting a shot? And, and I think, you know, I think part of it for, for Ferens with the quarterback position is wanting to keep as many quarterbacks as possible, which is just something that doesn't happen in, in college football now. But to his credit, I mean, I was got four, quarterbacks we'll see how how skilled they are probably in some settings because they're not all gonna play at Iowa um so it'll be interesting um because I think I think you raise some good points in in terms of how this happened and again maybe it just all comes down to playing Northwestern versus playing someone else but I'm liable to believe that having Padilla opens up the playbook to a point where it makes if a guy if he's going to hand off it makes it a credible conflict point for a defender to be well is it actually a run or is it going to be a pass and that split second hesitancy is all you need in football sometimes here's something a segment i think we should start now and revisit throughout the rest of the year okay who, which quarterbacks are on Iowa's roster in 2021, 20, 22, or 2022, 23? Oh, um, that's a good question. I, so I think my official stance is we see the loser of the Padilla Petrus battle leave at the end of this season. My opinion is that it will be Petrus is transferring. Mm -hmm. And then we see Hogan, if he doesn't beat out Padilla or Petrus, he won't be on the 2022 roster. So I would say Padilla, Labus, May are the three quarterbacks on Iowa's roster this time next year. So you think potentially we see two quarterbacks leave the program in a 365-day span? I think it's almost certainly a guarantee. Okay. I don't know about Deuce, but I do believe the loser of the Petrus Padilla battle is gone. And I think we've got more. I think we'll have really, I think we'll have good clarity on how that plays out one week from now. I think that's fair. And I think that maybe Hogan sticks around if Petrus sticks around. And then you can like kind of sell it as you get two years as Iowa's quarterback after this. I think that that's fair. But with, Padilla and Hogan having just the the one year between them. Uh, I, I can't imagine both of those guys are on the roster. I agree, and it's interesting. It is indeed interesting. Is there anything else you want to discuss? Did you want to do a basketball minute? We should do a uh, ahead of It's tonight's opening game. We should do a minute. It is a minute. All right, so the thing that stuck out for me is Patrick – looks the part in watching the exhibition 
the other night. I thought his skill can really unlock a lot of different things as I was uh, small forward, um, very heady player, obviously Fran's kid. So I think he's got genius in him, but he's very spacey as you come to find out from their podcast with the Gazette. Uh, he, he's not as focused. So if, if Fran can keep him on the straight and narrow, I think he can really open up a lot of things in a Franz Wag- Wagner uh, type way. Maybe not to, to Franz's level, but I'm very intrigued by him. And then the bench, to, to me, that's kind of the question now is like, can Sanford become a true bench scorer? And if he can, then I think you're going to see a lot of him. And I think that it very much makes Iowa a tournament team. If they have five Division One players like their, or five Power Five players like their starting lineup is, plus Sanford, plus the athleticism of Perkins plus the guile of Connor McCaffrey. Uh, I think that that's a good top eight. And and then you go from there. Aren't you a little bit worried about the lack of a three point threat on this team? Yes. 100%. Okay. I mean, I think that that's, that's absolutely concerning. I think you need, you need Patrick Rabracha and Murray to all be, viable from deep. I don't know if that means 33%. I don't know if that means 38%. I don't think you're Oh, it has see... to be 38. 33 won't cut it. It has to be 38. Oh, I mean, I think even for someone, I, for the play of Murray and McCaffrey, I think they just need to be, you can't leave them open. And this was a point that Fran made in his, in his, uh, press conference yesterday was like, you know, the three-pointer doesn't need to be their game, but it needs to be a credible part of their game so that it opens up the parts of the game that make them really good players. So I over under thir- number of players shooting over 38%, let's put it at 1.5. Bohannon, maybe Sanford. And, and yeah, that's that's concerning. It's concerning. Yeah, I think it's very scary because, like, you go back to teams, Iowa teams are good. You had Bohannon when he was lights out. That's not really, I don't think that's the case anymore. You had Peter Jock when he was lights out, but that team really didn't even do much. But you had, you know, going back further, you had Devin Marble and and Utah for viable threats in his senior year. Aaron White turned into a big threat. And even what was Garza's percentage this year? Was that close to 38? No, Garza was a 44%. I mean, that that's the thing is like, this is such a different team. I think you have to have different standards for like, what's a viable three point shooter. When you have the starting five Iowa had last year, which was basically four 40% shooters. You're the only way to go is down. And that's why, that's why I'm, I'm balking at, the idea that they can have it, but also they're, they're going to score points in a different way. Like, I think you, you do need the second one because I think you look at the 2016 team that had jock and Utah as kind of the, the one, two punch Utah had to shoulder so much of the load mm-hmm. that it made it really tricky. And jock was that guy, but there still wasn't enough credibility around them I think at the very least you have a lot of credible scorers around Bohannon right now but they're gonna have to show it um so maybe that makes them not so credible I couldn't find a way to like really articulate this coherently in the snarky little write-up I did of France Presser um, but you mentioned, you know, Pat took a thousand shot, a thousand three point shots a day this summer. Would you know where is he taking those in Carver? I know the McCaffreys have their own court. I'm, I'm this is a serious question because I've got no, that's a good question. I've got a point. I would imagine, I would say a third of them come in Carver, a third of them come in the practice facility, and a third of them come on the McCaffreys court. I don't love hearing that. Would be. Sorry, but I want 100% of them to be on Carver. I want Hawkeye. them all to be on Carver Hawkeye Arena, and here's why. Back when I used to listen, oh, yeah, to have we talked about this? 
I think I know where this is going, but back when I used to listen to the Bill Simmons podcast, I think he had Steph Curry on there. And this is, I think this is a 2016 golden state, you know, best team of all time, whatever. And Steph Curry was saying he was such a good three point shooter because of his dad, Dell, when he was on the, is either the Hornets or the Bobcats, he would practice in their arena. So he would get the sight lines, not from a practice facility, but from an actual arena. And that would help with his depth perception for shooting those threes, and that's always so good. I want to hear Patrick taking all of his threes in a Big Ten arena to for that reason, you know, and of course I want to fuck, I don't want to compare Patrick to Steph Curry, <laughs> but for that reason only, that really just sort of stuck out in my head. If send, And going back, more importantly, if Patrick had, you know, I'm sure he had access to Carver as a youngster with oh, yeah. having been the coach's son, had privilege that yeah. other basketball players don't have, want him to take full advantage of that. I don't think this is true. I think it's totally wishful thinking, which is why I didn't include that stupid little brain vomit in, in my write-up. That's just something I thought I'd fill these last five minutes with. It's a good point. I think I think we're going to find out. Is, what, is that what you think I was going to say? No. Well, but I, well, no. I, what did I think you were going to say? I don't know. Okay. I, I, it happens. I, I forgot my thought. Um, so I think that's it, Ben. I think that's it. Do you want to make a prediction for the Minnesota game? I know we really didn't discuss it. I, you, you said you think Padilla spins it. We're, we're. I, I think he, I think he spins it too. PJ Fleck has never beaten Kirk Ferentz. That's sort of been my, right. For my mo, the entire year is Kirk Ferentz is undefeated against coaches. He's undefeated against in twenty in the year of our Lord twenty twenty one. Yeah, the only the only coaches who have beat Kirk Ferentz are the ones that have already, already beat Kirk Ferentz. Yep. So I uh, let's keep it rolling, man. Mm-hmm. Let's keep it rolling. Uh, so for Ben Ross, for Harrison Star, you can find us on the Twitter at Renboss twenty three HD underscore Star. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Oh, who hates Iowa? Ugh. <laughs>